0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Episode 2 of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. I'm Sebastian Orton, the Swede. With me is Elliot Niblock, the Yank. And uh, we're going to take a little look look at Match Week 1 of the Premier League and uh, highlight a few of the games, sort of the talking points coming out of those games. And the season kicked off with Manchester United playing Leicester City on Friday. And United took a 2-1 to win at home at Old Trafford. But after the game, Mr. Mourinho complaining.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, what else is new?
0: It's going to be a long season, blah, blah, blah. We did, I didn't get the players I wanted, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same old tune. You, you and I spoke about it in our last podcast that it seems like He's all the time kind of hedging his bets and looking for ways in which to scapegoat any and everyone that's not named Jose Mourinho. Uh, And this was, it it was funny because he seemed actually like pretty amped during the game. You know, his celebration, especially for that second goal, was like really enthusiastic. Oh, absolutely. I I don't think, you know,
0: I don't think he has. That much of a problem with the squad that he has, but seeing that a lot of the teams around them did go out and buy, you know, in some cases quite a few players. And if he yeah. had this short list of his and they didn't he didn't get anything, I can understand that he's a little bit mopey, but at the same time, I feel like this is classic Mourinho year three meltdown.
1: I, I don't know. I mean, they're like, maybe they're cracks in the first wall around the fission chamber, but I don't think we've reached core meltdown just yet. I mean, I I think that it, it, again, he is laying that groundwork for if, if there is really a meltdown, he can point back and say, Oh, well look way back in August, I was already saying, but I mean, but again, this is, this is the, the, corner of stone of the problem with Jose to begin with that we've seen year in and year out at other clubs is that his view is all about himself and it's all about himself in the worst case scenario in the future. It's not let's take the positives from this game. We played really well. You know, we had a strong showing even from players like, for example, Paul Pogba who played Every match in the World Cup, all the way to and through the final, still coming back on match day one and putting in a sound performance. You know, like there are so many positives for United to take from this game, despite conceding that late goal, which was also frustrating because I'd bet on two 0 for the score line, and so <laughs> a meaningless goal just ruined my own line. But it's just it's frustrating. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, Sab. I know because obviously you know, you're a United supporter, but it's just it's so annoying to see somebody who's supposed to be a leader of men be focused on exactly one man being himself.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they are talking about bringing in a uh, director of football now at the club. I think that Edward Woodward is not the best when it comes to signing players. So that no. is a positive thing in my mind. One of the names that has been floated around is former goalkeeper Edwin von der Sar. So that would be kind of, to see him back at at the club
1: oh yeah and you know oddly enough again you and I recently spoke about van der Sar himself as one of the united legends that I have a ton of respect for um I mean I think that there is a question though right in terms of and it's for all the rivalry and all the animosity between the two there are some similarities between Jose Mourinho and Arsene Wenger like is Jose even going to really be able to like mesh with somebody like that? Is he going to stand for that? Is he going to refuse to work with a person like that? I don't know. Those are all valid questions to me.
0: Well, that's above his, even his pay grade really. That's the bo- board take that decision to hire a f- director of football and something that is definitely needed now ever since Sir Alex left.
1: Well, but, but the thing is that it's not going to change Jose's behavior one bit, right? It's it's still going to be the director of football signed this right back, and I wanted this center-holding midfielder. And so, therefore, the reason that we lost to, you know... Cambridge United in the FA Cup is all down to that decision, and none of it has to do with my general philosophy in terms of defending or my tactical changes in the game. It's all based on this one piece of personnel, which is just ridiculous to begin with. You know.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's a bit odd sometimes how things shake out. Uh, we should say that Paul Pogba scored in the third minute on a penalty, and then Luke Shaw made it two nothing in the third minute. Then Jamie Vardy scored. What turned out to be a consolation goal for Leicester in the 92nd minute. And um, Pogba and Alexis Sanchez sort of having some words over who's going to take the penalty. Yeah, that and, was funny. Um, really, Alexis Sanchez, probably the worst player on the pitch.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, and it's funny because speaking of World Cup hangovers or lack thereof, I, I've i expected him to come charging out of the gate fresh off his first summer without international football in a major competition in what I think 5 years almost and and yet he was kind of flat I mean again that's these are questions that you can pose in terms of how well he does or does not work within Mourinho's system I think that's a fair question but on the other side of the pitch in terms of talking about you know players with a hangover from the World Cup or not I was really surprised Jamie Vardy started this game on the bench. And yet he he looked dangerous. He almost assisted a goal shortly after coming on, you know, and he scored the ultimate, you know, again, consolation goal that didn't change the result of the match. But you know, again, speaking of Pogba, yeah, OK, maybe Vardy has a World Cup hangover, but he hardly played any of the games for England and Pogba played every minute of the full tournament. I mean it could be that he's not 100%, maybe he's
0: at 90% right now. So, you know, it's a on paper not the easiest game to go to Old Trafford, so could be some something behind the scenes that we don't really know about. Who knows? Yeah,
1: I mean, and I you can like to play devil's advocate. I guess you can make the argument that well, the reason that he had an impact was because he was an impact sub off the bench and almost assisted and then scored, but at the same time you know, it's, it's, it's all, we're all just blowing smoke in hindsight in terms of, well, if he'd been on the pitch, maybe he would have actually scored a brace. Who knows no. if he'd had twice as much time on the well, field. I, I was still surprised to see him on the bench.
0: Yeah, but I think that's going to make him stay in the league longer. He is 31 going oh. on 32 already, and he has a fairly long contract with Leicester. So I think if you want to get the best out of him, he's going to have to start some games on the bench and then come in, be sort of a quote-unquote super sub
1: yeah i mean like that is something that will prolong his career for sure i agree is that something that is going to be the ultimate benefit to leicester city football club probably but i'm not i'm not totally i'm not totally sure i mean i think that obviously they've already started planning for life after vardy but yeah, you got Gianaccio.
0: He's, he's 21 yeah. going on 22, so plenty Although of Although he left mi- there. he missed
1: a pretty good chance in the second half he there, did. I thought. He did. Um so it's I and again, this is the thing about Mourinho is that he's not focusing on the positives from the game. He's also not focusing on things that could have done better because you know United were vulnerable. Like Leicester really could have gotten something from this match um even like even with that 2-0 lead for much of the game they still nonetheless looked like like Leicester looked like they could have nicked a goal or two and yet he's still not focusing on that he's still just harping on the fact that he didn't get the players that he wanted like oh boo hoo you know this is like this is like a child who Gets a you know a nice thing for Christmas like oh yeah well but you know, remember my birthday you still never got me the bicycle I wanted because it only has fourteen gears and I wanted twenty one like oh my god go to hell
0: yeah no that's true I was it was nice to see Victor Lindelof and Eric Bai start together at the central defense I think if mm-hmm. Bai can stay healthy Lindelof you know he should have some pandas here coming back from a good tournament with Sweden.
1: Yeah, he uh, had a then, good, he had a good game I thought.
0: And then seeing Andreas Pereira start mm-hmm. in midfield that was very nice to see as well. Mm-hmm. Well I love... and
1: Sh- and uh, even besides Shaw's goal I thought Shaw played well also. Yes.
0: No, Shaw is a good player. He's he's just seems to be a little bit fragile when it comes to the mental bit. He needs someone yeah. who believes in him and I don't think that maybe Mourinho hasn't had the best man management as far as handling Shaw but yeah, hopefully it can work itself out, or hopefully Mourinho can get sacked before New Year's. Who knows?
1: <laughs> you know, can always up for that. Can
0: always, you know, dream. I was
1: actually a player who, speaking of birthdays, I actually shares my birthday. Uh, who I really expected to be more of a leader on the pitch for United than he ever was was Morgan Schneiderlin because he definitely, you know, had that kind of on-pitch presence when he was previous at. at Southampton, I thought, but he just never really kind of was able to boss the field in any way, shape, or form at all. No, he, he
0: never, he never caught on, and Schweinsteiger came in like two or three years too late. So mm-hmm. it's a shame. But now Busty is in the MLS, so or in MLS. I shouldn't say mm. the MLS. <laughs> Sorry about that, all MLS fans. Moving over to Saturday. We should say Spurs took a 2-1 win on the road against Newcastle. Pretty fun game. We got three goals within the first 18 minutes. First, Vertongen scored in the 8th. Joselou tied it up in the 11th. And then Deli Ali scored the winner in the 18th minute.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, though, that, again, we're going to... I mean, this is going to be the case not only after match day one, but probably for the next couple weeks that we're going to continue speaking about the issue of players with a World Cup hangover, and whether you play them or don't, I mean, Tottenham are Tottenham. They have to play Dele Ali and Harry Kane. You know, they, all of the Spurs supporters were so proud of England, and, you know, rightfully so. Like, England made a good run and had a good tournament for how many Spurs players were in the squad, but, you know, the last 20 minutes of this game, boy, Newcastle were on top of it, and Tottenham looked like they had really leaden legs and heavy hearts and I think that they're pretty lucky to get away with all three points from this match. You know, another talking point that we should mention is um, from just a, <laughs> the Yank point of view. That is, uh, that DeAndre Yedlin picked up a knee injury um, that actually looked pretty bad. Um, in, yeah, you know,
0: yeah. yeah, it was one of those awkward landing, uh, you know, his knee appeared to hyperextend, which is never a good sign. Yeah. So well, um, and
1: he was clearly struggling to put weight on it yeah. as he came off the pitch as well. So that was that was frustrating from a U.S. men's national team point of view.
0: Yeah, and really hasn't he had quite a few injuries now?
1: Yeah, he ha- he has had a number that have stacked up. I mean, it's still you know, of course, the like rough is line is always well it's too early we need to have the scans and you know there hasn't been any news on that just yet but if he's out for an extended period of time boy that's really that's tough for him at this point in his career when you really want you know a player who is and and i was talking to my friend drew about this the other day you know whether or not moving away from st james park would be good for yedlin or not and i don't i I am fine with him playing for Newcastle. You know, Newcastle are not world beaters. They're not going to be trying for top six realistically. But he's getting regular starting 11 first team football in the most competitive league in the world. And I would take that with two hands over making occasional cameos for Tottenham in the League Cup. Yes, you know? absolutely. So it's But, it, but it also he is at this point in his career, in his mid-20s, like he's smack bang in the middle. He's 25 and... This is, a, this is precisely also the point that, to speak about another U.S. player, for example, Stu Holden, in his career, like, the knee injuries started to occur as he was really establishing himself with Bolton in the Premier League, and, you know, it, like, you're, a career can zig or zag, and boy, cra- tragically, Holden's zagged about as hard as a zig good zag. Yeah, uh, that's true.
0: I mean, knee, knee injuries can be career enders. Uh, hopefully, Edlin will be back sooner rather than later. But a player that also relies a lot on his pace, yeah, not yeah. not a good thing when you start injuring stuff like your knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should say that Chelsea took a three nothing win over Huddersfield. They looked fine under new manager. Sorry, playing you know pretty some pretty nice football there. But I want to talk about Wolves. Everton ended in a two two draw, and the man I forgot about, Lisson.
1: Yeah, the signing of the summer.
0: With a brace (laughs) there. And uh, I know he had to go out injured, but it looks like he's fine. He will be able to play. But a brace in his first game for Everton, that's not a bad start.
1: Yeah, boy, and it will be, um, you know, it'll be funny and a bit sad if Walcott is quickly and fully eclipsed by Richarlison after moving to Everton on, you know, kind of – touted to be uh, leading their front line uh, and and I have to admit I knew that Richarlison was in his early 20s he's a lot younger than I thought I did not realize that he is only 21 I thought he was already 23 or
0: 24. oh no
1: so I mean you know if he it, it's way, this is the you know the way too early report on Richarlison at Everton but I mean if he if he has a really strong season there, you know i mean maybe even stays for two years like this is the like he's certainly moving up the pecking order right i was speaking just now about how newcastle are not realistically going to challenge for top six that's that is on the outside of the realm of possibility for everton but it is in the realm of possibility and you know like if he can like get them there if he can get them a Fifth place finish in Europa League football that is a win for him as a signing and they'll be able to totally cash in on him and there'll be a ton of Premier League clubs and probably other continental European clubs who would be happy to sign him, you know, if coming a couple years from now down the road. He's a 23-year-old who is a proven Premier League goal scorer. You know, a young man with a ton of his career ahead of him, solid seven years left in the prime of his career. Like, that, like he, he could be the next player in the Premier League that we're talking about a 50, 60, 80 million euro move for.
0: Yeah, I think Everton, they have a very good squad. I think that if they can get everything to come together and really perform at their best, then... Yes, I would say a top six finish could be in the realm of possibilities, but everything would have to fall into place for that to happen. Yeah,
1: and I think that you know I was saying this kind of a two year plan. I think that realistically, that, like this year, it would be it, it would be stretching it to ask them to do that. Um, however. You know, next year if they if they have a solid campaign and can add more talent next window, I think that expecting them to finish fifth or sixth is not outside the you know not not totally unreasonable.
0: Yeah. So what do you make of Wolves though making their comeback here in the Premier League? They were up a man for a lot of this game. Jagielka got sent off in the 40th minute, so a little bit over one half playing. 11 against 10.
1: Yeah, but they also, you know, you could be frustrated that they didn't do more after Jagielka's sending off, but at the same time, they did enough to earn a point. And again, speaking about realistic goals for teams pretty squarely outside of that top six at the moment, why Wolves have to be happy with a point. I know that it's at home. You want to do more for your supporters in your opening match back into the Premier League, but... A point against Everton, like, it very well could be that we're speaking again in early May and we look back that, you know, yeah, match day one. That that 80th minute goal that you were able to capitalize on your man advantage, even though you didn't get all three, like, that could end up proving vital. So I think that, yeah, of course, if you're actually in Wolverhampton watching the game, supporting the team, it's frustrating to see your team go a full half with a man advantage, and only be able to get one goal from it. Just ask any Arsenal fan who watched us play Atletico Madrid at home. But you have to be happy with getting a draw. It's it's not a bad start to the Premier League season. and I think that realistically, if you told most Wolves supporters before the game started, we'll give you a point in this, they'd say, yeah, okay, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like expectations are high, from what I've read and heard. Um, but as a newcomer, your main focus should be staying up. That That's yeah. all you have to do year one, stay up, yeah. really. And yeah. I, understand, and, I understand that they have a lot of money behind them. They've signed some high-profile players, but at the same time, you can't just be like, oh, okay, we got promoted, now we're going to finish in the top ten.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, the other thing about that, I think, is that like you, you look at look at Leicester right you just got to stay up the first year you stay up the first year maybe wolves win the premier league next season
0: <laughs> no no we don't <laughs> need dis- one we the disgust
1: in your voice is palpable <laughs> yeah we
0: don't need that I, I don't need more of these Cinderella teams to win before my United win again.
1: Oh come on, nope. Seb! Uh, I would love, I would love to see Wolves win.
0: I am that bitter. Okay, uh, then Sunday, uh, two games to talk about here: Liverpool statement win for nothing at home to West Ham, and <laughs> I saw Jurgen Klopp say something about it. he didn't understand why they were sort of touted as one of the favorites here now but i mean come on
1: oh yeah no liverpool are phenomenal and they i mean yeah they they bossed the game from start to finish and i think that west ham are a team that you know in the preview episode last week we spoke about how they've added some real quality in the likes of fabianski in the likes of jack wilshire um Maybe to a lesser extent, Lucas Perez, you know, they like they've made a lot of great signings and I think that they've had a strong window and I think that Liverpool had a stronger window signing fewer players and were a much better team to begin with. Yeah. And like it's weird to say this about a team that scored four goals it could have been more. It could have been six pretty yes. easily.
0: Yeah, it could have been more. Um, Sadio Mane got two, Mohamed Salah got one and then Daniel Sturridge even got on the score sheet. So Yeah, my god. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a good opening night for Liverpool and I think it's you know, I don't want to give them too much credit for obvious reasons, but it's nice for for them that you guy you you know, you get those nice signings but you also get guys like Trent Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson coming in, playing Joe Gomez kids that are, you know, been brought up there. Yeah. I mean, the homegrown
1: players are not only important from a rules perspective to like have those homegrown players in the squad to meet your quotas, but also from a, to some extent, a leadership perspective. I mean, I think that that plays a role, but it's even more, to my mind about the culture of the club. And this is one of the things that was, you know, really made it sad to see, um, Jack Wilshire depart from Arsenal because he was one of the players who had that mentality, you know, who has this, you, like you build a relationship with the fans because let's be real, you know, when you're in a youth academy, you're a fan yourself because, So many players at youth level don't pan out, you know, or they end up playing in League One, League Two, despite being a product of, uh, you know, an illustrious academy. It happens Mm. time and time again, and so, like, yeah, you've you've got a leg up on achieving your dream, but there's not that much difference between like you and a lot of the other fans of your generation who are supporting this club, and so. I think that that gives itself to uh, a certain kind of connection to the supporters that is just, you know, of course you can move to a club and fall in love with it, right? Like look at Thierry Henry, for example. Um, you know, you can, you can make that connection your own. Yes. But when it is homegrown, it's uh, – there's, there's just like a certain aspect to it that, you know, uh, you, you were the one in the stands singing those chants before – they were sung at you and like that that's just a, a dynamic that like can't be constructed yeah. it has to be grown
0: no that's very true and i also with the signings that they've made looking at their bench for this game you had Nathaniel <coughs> Klein Fabinho Henderson Lalana Shakir and Sturridge yeah crazy bench very good bench
1: yeah i mean they're They're not as deep as City. And we'll talk about City's game against Arsenal in a moment. They're not as deep as City. But they're the only team in the Premier League, I think, that can claim to be close. Um, I think that you could make an argument that uh, perhaps Chelsea aren't that far off, right? You know, with, granted, again, resting players for the sake of... um, for the sake of the World Cup, but their bench was Eden Hazard, Loftus-Cheek, Caballero, uh, Caballero, <laughs> Victor Movesis, Giroud. I mean, those are all quality players that I think have a lot of Premier League minutes both behind them and in front of them, but it's not as though they were starting scrubs in the place of, you know, Hazard by any means. You know, Pedro, I thought, had a great game for them, mm. but... But with the, with, the ex- with the possible exception of Chelsea, I think it's it, it's pretty clearly Liverpool and City as the top two teams. And, you know, we were saying that before the season started and match day one, very little has changed.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, Manchester City, they defeated Arsenal 2 nothing on the road. Raheem Sterling and Bernardo with the goals. And, uh, you know, both goals. Fairly nice, especially Bernardo's. That was a bullet. Yeah,
1: that was that was a gor- that was a gorgeous goal. Um, and it was from an Arsenal. So from a city perspective, right? Let's talk about that first because yes. we were just comparing them to Liverpool. Uh, yeah, they they looked like the city of last season. They had little to no. Again, speaking of World Cup hangover, they looked like champions they played like champions doesn't mean they'll be crown champions at the end of the season but they certainly don't look like they're ready to have uh, kind of the post trophy meltdown that we've seen down the years that in fact you know i think it was united right the last time that a team successfully defended the premier league title mm-hmm. in 0809 uh,
0: yeah um, and same thing here you had a very strong bench i know that a lot of these players or some of them might be starters you know like de bruyne company if he's fully healthy who knows but you had company Otamende, de bruyne lero sane jesus and then also nice to see philip foden 18 year old product so um Pretty strong there for the reigning yeah. champions. Yeah, good game for them. But, uh, Sterling, I mean Sterling. Great game.
1: Yeah, God, he had he had a great game. Um And, I mean, they, they look great from front to back. And, again, I think speaking of, you said the name Kevin De Bruyne, and he's he he's not a probable starter. He's a 100% starter if he's totally a match fit. Yes, and but at
0: the same time, they didn't miss him in this game.
1: No, they didn't. And so, okay, so shifting to the Arsenal perspective, it's it's frustrating well first of all it's always frustrating to lose your opening match um especially so at home but it's even more frustrating to see that this you know it, it's a, a phrase that i hate to hear but it's applicable in this case which is same old arsenal you know occasional really sloppy in possession often really poor defending at the back i mean we could have been hit for for four to six as Liverpool hit four to be honest Um, so it's frustrating and there are major issues and I think that there's some it's almost it's almost encouraging (laughs) on some level it's almost encouraging and yet it's still troubling to see some consistency between the problems with Wenger's arsenal and the problems with you know now just 90 minutes in Unai Emery's arsenal because it's clear that those problems are partially just down to the squad and you know you can't just point the finger at Wenger and say, Ah, oh, okay, well, clearly it was all his shortcomings. No, like the, the problems with the team in terms of sloppy defending, careless loss of possession in midfield persist. However, however, there are still positives to take from this game. Um, I think that our front line was often dangerous. I'm interested to see if, moving forward, Lacazette and Aubameyang start games together more frequently. I understand that having Laka on the bench gives you a certain kind of flexibility in your substitutions, but he came on and he looked dangerous. And I think that if he's a little sharper and totally match fit, then he would have buried some of the chances he had. And I also think that maybe the brightest spot is Matteo Guendouzi, the 19 year old Frenchman who made his competitive debut for Arsenal, who we signed from Lorient uh, in the summer.
0: Oh, yes. um, Sideshow Bob hair.
1: Oh, but God is such sideshow Bob hair. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Makes it easy to pick out in the pitch for the announcers, though. That's for sure.
0: Yes, Uh, that's very, very true. But he,
1: I mean, he had a couple of, like, really sloppy plays. I mean, he almost single-handedly gave up a goal, in fact. But you would... You have to expect that of a player who's only 19 years old making his debut in the Premier League. And on the whole, he looked confident on the ball, kept driving us forward. And I think that, you know, I hope anyways, that despite the frustrations of match day one, A, it's only match day one. B, you've got to kind of, as I was speaking about Everton, take a longer perspective. And in the future, if we can see a Guendouzi-Lucas-Torreira like, really strong midfield pairing in the way that we saw uh, Santi cazorla Cocalan midfield pairing, then a lot of those issues that I just spoke about are going to disappear.
0: Yep. If we take a look at the players that didn't look so confident, Pericek almost scored an own goal. Oh my
1: God. Oh, yeah, and, like, a, a laughable horror show on goal. Yep. Um,
0: that would have been so bad.
1: Oh, God. Do you remember the, um, the Alaba own goal that he scored for his national team I believe he's Austrian um, which was it's similar you know he it, it almost looked he was it was a back pass but it almost looked as though he was shooting on his own net and Czechs would have been similar. I mean he looked out of sorts I think it, it the again the only silver lining to that is well guys we splashed tens of millions on a new goalkeeper. We gotta see him between the sticks match day two. I think it it will be a huge mistake if Leno doesn't start the second game because no matter how you cut it in terms of talking about experience and leadership from Czech, he didn't have a good game. And he like, yeah, okay, City are great, a clear underdogs. Uh and Emery said specifically, we want competition between goalkeepers as we want competition between every player in the squad. Excellent. I agree with you. Czech had a poor game, almost had a horror show. That means that it opens the door for the other player, so you have to start the next, the other player in the next game.
0: Yep. Throw him badant and see what happens. Uh, two other players that got some flack, uh, Henrik McTarian and Mesut Özel. Uh,
1: I mean, neither one were at their best. Neither one were terribly abject. I thought Mkhitaryan actually had a decent game. Uh and Urzel created like he had he had a couple key passes. Overall he did look far from his absolute best. Um there was one chance that he had, which on the one hand, in terms of where the ball came to him in the eighteen and yeah, you know, like the, his positioning—it was a fantastic chance, but it was coming in hot, and he had to take it first time, and he miffed it. And I—I I don't know. I—you w- w- got to give me a larger sample size besides ninety minutes before I jump on the bandwagon to agree with everybody else to blame everything on Mesudorczl. Yeah, I can agree,
0: I, I can understand that, but he has a very negative body language on the pitch.
1: I yeah, that's so I. I'll say two things about that. First, I agree with you. He does, he does wear his heart on his sleeve, right? Like when he's frustrated, he's frustrated and he kind of like tends to roll his eyes and like look up and look abject. And he, at the same time, I think that he also comes off as this negative influence in part just because of his running style. Like he has this loping gait that almost makes it look like he's just kind of lazily jogging, but if you look at the stats, uh, almost every match that he plays, he has run more than any other Arsenal midfielder. So, I'd, like, yeah, I, yeah, his body language maybe isn't the best. And again, speaking about those players who you know, United lacks as a real leadership presence in the midfield, uh, I mean, I think you could argue that Arsenal lacks that also. I don't think that that's really kind of Aaron Ramsey's personality he's you know, he, he's been named one of the kind of the vice captains by Emery and maybe in order to try to spark that in him, but we don't really have that either. And Mesut Ozil is very far from that. You know, I, he is, he is not really that kind of leader. And yet, so you have that question of, well, okay, well, if you're going to captain this team and the co-captain is Lauren Koscielny and he's injured, then where is that leadership going to come from? And I, I hate to say it, but, I don't have an answer to that. I, I really don't, and I would actually expect that one of the players that I would, I personally would want to step up and do that is the other name that you mentioned, Unrick Mkhitaryan. Um, but we certainly, we clearly lack that kind of Tony Adams-style, really vocal captain leader on the pitch. And I don't think that that's problem number one for Unai Emery, but it's certainly an issue that hopefully will be addressed at some point down the line.
0: Yeah, and. Check said something interesting too in the interview after the game that Emery is very focused on the tactics right now. Everything is very strict, it seems like. So... Yeah. I, You know, for a player like Utsil, for Mkhitaryan, I think that some more freedom needs to be one of the conditions if you want this to, to pan out well.
1: Yeah, um... I, I don't know. I I agree. Again, I'm going <laughs> to I'm just going to keep hedging my bets here, Seth. Um, I'm going to agree with you absolutely that I think those are both players who benefit from a greater degree of freedom. And I think that based on watching the game it seemed like Urzel maybe had a little more of that than Mickey did. But that said, you know maybe you also feel that yes, that's the goal down the line but I have to put my stamp on this team. I have to have it be like ingrained tactical muscle memory that they play within the system that everybody else is playing with that. So everybody's on the same page. And then, and only then when it's clear to me that this has become second nature to you, can I add the asterisk of, okay, well, this is how we operate, but you can kind of wander a little more. and that's possible. It's frustrating. I mean, these are the growing pains that you know you know very well after the departure of Ferguson that happens when you change manager after decades. yes. and and so they're inevitable to some extent. Uh, and I, and I don't know what he's thinking, obviously. Of course, i how could I? like maybe maybe that is his plan. Maybe he just wants them to play a little bit more of a strict system. But whatever it is, I think that, Focusing on tactics intensely seems like it makes sense to me because for a lot of this game, it looked like Arsenal had ten outfield players who were on at least nine different pages of the playbook because nobody was meshing with anybody else. I mean, and it, it, it didn't last the whole time. After Lacazette came on, we looked a little better, but for a lot of that second half, we were just like totally at sixes and sevens and didn't you know we did not look like we had any sense of how to play together as a unit and yeah so i mean if he has to keep drilling that as a harping point then maybe he does or or the flip side you know it's not working yet but he's got to stick to it because again we're 90 minutes in they played the defending champions and if not the first choice, the close second after Liverpool favorite to win the league this season, you, you can't just scrap your whole system and burn it all down when you lose two to nothing against arguably the best team in the world.
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, we're going to end with uh, your favorite man in the world, Sam Allardyce. Oh God. Who uh, thought that it was stupid of Unai Emery to play this style of play. Um, Against City, and that's you know why Czech almost scored an no own goal. As far as City, they press, 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 press. Why would you try and play out when they press, press, press? That's a yeah cool. quote from Mister Big Sam.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would be interested to try to find out who bribed him to say that. <laughs> I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna forgive him for that. Like you solicit a bribe as the manager of England. <laughs> you're you're not gonna get to live that down, at least no. not in my book. No, that's true. Sorry, Big D.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now that will do it for this episode. We'll be back later in the week uh, as we'll take a look at match week two. Until then you can always find us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren, Elliot is Keats was better. And then we also have the one Yank One Swede. So that's the number one, then Yank, and then the number one, and then Swede. So give us a follow there, and we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.